Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 15. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Listen, there are basically three views as to what cast out or what the passage says regarding believers or make believers position in Christ. Three views as to what cast out means. Regarding the statement cast out, the first view, the cast out branches are the ones who were once believers, but because of a lack of fruit ended up in hell or they lost their salvation, cast out. The second view Cast out, the cast out branches are pseudo-Christians, fake Christians. People who never really abided in Jesus and therefore they go to hell like Judas. And then the third view, the cast out branches are fruitless Christians who wasted their lives. They've lived burnt up lives, if you will, and they bore no fruit. Three views, three positions, Three possibilities. Here's what we know. Listen, saints, here's what we know. The Bible does not teach, nowhere in the Bible does it teach that you as a believer can lose your salvation. Somebody should clap your hands and be happy about that. You cannot lose your we as believers, and I don't know about you, but that makes that 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 makes things a lot easier for me. We as believers are eternally secure. That means I don't have to walk on eggshells. That means that when I get out there on that 440 and somebody cuts me off, she said, you can get mad. Yes, I can, and I didn't lose my salvation. But at the same time, I go, ah, resum, tesum, resum, tesum, resum. You know you're mad when you resum, tesum, resum. And then you repent. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have went there. I got in the flesh, the flesh monster, this flesh. I'm, Lord, I'm still working on killing this flesh. I keep killing it. Lord, it keeps rising up from the grave. Lord, you know, <laughs> you know it, it, it's a security there to know that we can't lose our salvation. Listen, if you were a pseudo-Christian, you were never saved. If you turn out to be a pseudo-Christian, that means you were never a Christian. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it tells us, And they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have, somebody come on, help me. They would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. You see, Judas was a pseudo-Christian. Judas was, look at me, look at me, look at me. Judas was with the Lord, but he wasn't with the Lord. Did you get that? 
Think about it. Judas was a part of the same ministry as the other disciples. He spent time with Jesus. He saw the miracles in the ministry of Jesus. He had the same experiences as the rest of the disciples. But there was no life in him. He wasn't connected to the vine. He didn't abide in Christ. And Christ did not abide in him. Judas was unfruitful, an unfruitful branch that had to be removed. He didn't lose his connection. He never was connected. He was cut off, withered, died. He committed suicide. He didn't abide. Now listen. In my inbox this week, I got a note, an email from a sister who asked me, she said, Pastor Rodney, can a Christian commit suicide? Can a Christian commit suicide? Um, And even in this same week, I got an inbox from a lady who told me, get this, this is awesome. She told me, she said, Pastor Rodney, I just wanted to send you a thank you note and let you know that we are stationed in the Bahamas. And on Sunday morning at chapel, we use a podcast from the sermons here at Calvary Chapel as our Sunday morning services. So I wanted you to know you're our podcast pastor. (laughs) Is that not the awesome, most awesome thing? I'm waiting for somebody to clap your hands and say something. That that blew me away. It blew me away to know that, and you should know, that that this church really, and I've prayed, Lord, I don't want this church to become the kind of church that's us for no more. I don't want to be the church that is just about our walls and what we're doing here. It's amazing how the word of God gets out and goes from this pulpit. Do you know that this sermon that I am preaching now will one day be heard in nine prisons on Rikers Island? Rikers Island has 13 prisons. Of those 13 prisons, this sermon will be heard by the prisoners in nine of them. Oh, Somebody could be clapping and getting excited or something. Isn't that awesome? And then the radio stations that, that, that we're on and the, and, and, and the podcast and, and all of these things that God uses, we don't realize it, but, the, but God, what God is doing. And for me, it's amazing. For me, I'm a street kid from Philly. I've told you once, I'll tell you a thousand times, I don't have a college degree. I've never been to a Bible college. I've never been to cemetery. I mean, seminary. I've never been. I've never been. That works every time. I've never been. (laughs) I've never been to to Bible college. I've never been to college. I got a 12th grade education. And the Bible says that God will take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things to put to put to shame those that are mighty. God does not need your education in order for him to use your life. I'm a witness. I'm a witness. And for me to think, I mean, for me to think that, that God's word goes as far as it does from this pulpit to so many untold tens of thousands of people, cards, letters, emails, every day of somebody saying how the word of God has made a difference in their life. It's all because of the Word of God. It had nothing to do with me. It has all to do with the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God. And so I get an inbox from a lady who says to me, Pastor Rodney, can a Christian commit suicide? I answered her back, yes. But why would they want to? God loves you. 
And he'll never love you any more. He'll never love you any less than he does right now. You know, sometimes we think that God loves us more when we pray more. Or God loves us more when we give more. Or God loves us more when we attend church more. Or God loves us more when we study the Bible more. Or God loves us more when we're nicer to people or all of these kinds of things. Do you understand that God today loves you as much as he's ever going to love you? And let me add a little tag note to that. God loves you and you can't do nothing about it. He loves you and you can't do nothing about it. Can a Christian commit suicide? Yes. But it's not the unpardonable sin. I was raised Catholic. Anybody? I was raised Catholic. Okay, then you know where I'm going. I was raised Catholic, and the Catholic Church taught that there were two kinds of sins. Y'all know this, don't you? There were mortal sins and what? Somebody help me. Venial sins. Mortal sins and venial sins. And suicide is a mortal sin, according to the Catholic Church. And a mortal sin can't be forgiven because it usurps God's authority and power over life and death. It's unforgivable. So if you commit a mortal sin, then there's no hope for you, no chance for you. Don't pass, go, don't collect $200, you're going straight to hell. Mortal sins were murder, adultery, uh, idolatry, and even suicide. And the interesting thing is that that teaching, are y'all listening? That teaching didn't even come into the church until the fourth century by with a guy by the name of St. Thomas Aquinas. Venial sins are forgivable. Mortal sins are unforgivable. Jesus said, there is only one sin. Listen, man says this. Are y'all listening? Man says one thing, God says another. I choose to go with what God says. Okay? The Catholic Church says one thing, God says another. God says there's only one sin that's unforgivable, and that is the unpardonable sin or the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you know that. That means you refuse to connect to the vine, the only source of life. That means you're rejecting the salvation that Jesus gives by the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches when you become a Christian, God covers all your sins, past, present, and future, even suicide. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Anybody know the rest? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even suicide. Don't get me wrong. Suicide is sin, but it's not unforgivable. And the moment you trusted Christ, listen, I'm trying to help you. This is going to bless you. Listen, the moment that you trusted Christ, you were filled and then sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Memory verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were what, saints? Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealing is a sign of ownership, a down payment, if you will. Earnest money. Earnest money means you want something and you put it on layaway. Y'all remember layaway? Who remembers layaway? They don't even do layaway no more. Remember layaway? Boy, my mother was a layaway queen. I tell you, I'm you know son of a single parent. My, you know, she didn't have that much money. You know, if we got clothes, we had to do it on layaway. You know what I mean? And my mother would go do layaway, layaway one time. She lay away all your winter clothes. This is all you're gonna get. All this mall stuff these kids are doing every single week. I need something new to wear. 
And that didn't happen. You got something. Your winter clothes was all you going to get for winter. Okay, if you want it new, you better act like it's new. <laughs> Where my people at? Y'all need to get real, you know. Okay, so she goes lay away all the winter stuff at one time. And because she didn't really have that much money, so, you know, she would just go lay away. And lay away, for those of you that don't know, you could lay away something and put as much on it as you want. You could come and put a dollar on it a week. You could put $2 on a week. I remember we went to uh, Woolworths. Did y'all have Woolworths down here? Yeah, we went to Woolworths. And boy, I'm telling you, my, my mom said, we're going shopping. Well, we're going to get, woo, yes. We got a... Uh, I remember Oshkosh, Bagashkosh. Was that the designer stuff? And uh, uh, Garanimals. Like you match up the giraffe with the giraffe. Well, we were designer. What y'all talking about? Ain't no Givenchy. We were designer. So we would go and my mom would buy all this stuff and put it on layaway and and then every week, or yeah, every week actually, if she got paid, she would take 10 bucks and go down there. I'm like, Mom, you spent more money on car fare going, we had to take the train, the trolley, the bus, whatever. I'm like, well, Mom, you spent more money on car fare to get down there and lay it away to put $10 on it. But that's the way you got clothes. You, you put a down payment. You put, a, you put it on layaway. And when you, are uh, you listening? And when you put it on layaway, that was earnest money to tell them that someday you're going to come back and pay for all your stuff in full and you're going to pick it up and take it with you. Here's the good news. The Bible teaches that God put us on layaway when he put the Holy Spirit in us and sealed us. Are you getting me? And sealed us, and someday he's coming back to take what he purchased himself. Somebody need to clap your hands and say amen. Yep. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, write it down. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and with your spirit, which is God's. First Peter 1, 18, 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your father, but what saints, but with the precious blood, God used his precious blood to put you on layaway. He bought you and he's going to come back someday and get you. Don't be a Judas branch who didn't abide because ultimately it means death. Look at verse seven and eight. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Jesus is saying, if God's word remains in you, you can ask anything. Now, people, listen, love the second half of this verse. Don't they? You will ask what you desire. It shall be done for you. Whatever you desire. Desire. I don't know what to say. Whatever you desire. God will give it to you, whatever you want. Listen, they like the second half of the verse, but you got to read the first half of the verse. And the first half of the verse says, what, saints? Come on, y'all help me. If you abide in me and my word in you. See, abide in me. G. Campbell Morgan said, the first half of the verse is the cherubim with the flaming sword that guards the way to the second half of the verse. I like that. This verse could read like this. If you abide in me and my words settle down in you, you can ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Come on, go with me real quick. Turn with me real quick. John chapter 14. 
Look at John 14. John 14, 13. Come go. Come. John 14, 13. 14, 13, 14, actually. 14, 13, 14. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask what saints? Anything in my name, I will do it. And here in John, go back to John 15, 7, Jesus said, Abide in me, my words in you, and you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be given to you. Now listen, there's a qualifying statement to asking for what you want. Are you listening? There's a qualifying statement to asking for what you want. And the qualifying statement in John 14, 13 is, ask in my name. The qualifying statement in John 15, 7 is, if you abide in me. You see that? To pray in Jesus' name, and we talked about this, to pray in Jesus' name means in the nature of Jesus, in the character of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. In other words, you're praying in full identification with Jesus. When you pray in full identification with Jesus, you're praying for what is consistent with the will and the word of God. Write that down. When you pray in full identification with Jesus, you're praying what is consistent with the will and the word of God because his will and his word is always consistent. Somebody say amen. And when you pray like that, and when you pray like that, that eliminates the gimme this and the gimme that. When you pray according to his will, his plan, his purpose, that eliminates the gimme this and the gimme this, that. That eliminates the name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it. Because you're praying according to his will. Listen, when your prayer sounds something like this, Father, I'm asking this because I know it's your will. Father, I'm asking this for Jesus' sake. Father, I'm asking this because I know Jesus would like this to be done. When you can say that, then you're asking in his will. Remember, prayer isn't getting your will done in heaven. Prayer is getting God's will done on earth. Somebody say amen. Prayer isn't an argument with God trying to get God to move things your way. Prayer is an exercise where we move ourselves his way. Prayer isn't overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is laying hold of God's willingness. It's not, oh God, come on God, look at it this way. It's not my will, but what saints? Thy will be done. James 4, 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Listen, we have a monthly prayer meeting. I mentioned in our announcements, we have a monthly prayer meeting. And we pray, as I mentioned, on third Saturday a month uh, from nine to ten. And we have uh, any given Saturday anywhere between 100 and 150 people come out. And I think that's good. But. I think there should be more. I think there should be more. Thank you, sweetie. I think there should be more. Because prayer, saints, listen, prayer is the battlefield. And maybe that's why we don't have more. Prayer is the battlefield. And we need all hands on deck. I don't know if you noticed the world that we're living in. Saints, we need to be praying. Prayer is the battlefield, fellas. We were talking about this at the men's conference. We need to be men of prayer. We need to be men of prayer. Listen, you men, you need to come to church. 
You need to lead your family to church. We talked about this. You should never have your wife say to you, honey, get up, let's go, it's time for church. No, you're the leader of the home. You need to be the one leading the home, leading the way in prayer, leading the way to church. You're the one that should be saying, you know what? It's the third Saturday, having prayer in church. Come on, let's go. Well, honey, you know, I got to take the, take the baby, take the girl, little girl to uh, ballet. Okay, well, you take her to ballet, and then I'll go to prayer. I don't like ballet no way. So you go take her to ballet, and then I'll go to prayer because you need to be at church representing your family before the throne of God, fellas. And don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to put you down. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you get things in order. Because the, if, if you listen to the world and if you look at the world, the world is out of order. Can somebody say amen? The world is way out of order. The family, the church, we need to get our lives in order. We need to be people of prayer because that's where the battle is. That's where your prayer comes from. Listen, I don't have time to read this, but I'm going to read it anyway. Listen, because I'm the pastor and I can do what I want. Listen to this story. You're going to love it. The story of the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. By the age of 17, he had a congregation number around 3,000 in London about a century ago. The church was being built, called the, the church was called the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and it was huge. A minister and preachers and church workers were coming from all over the world to see Spurgeon and see what the Lord was doing at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Well, one day on a Sunday afternoon, a group of ministers came in and they were walking around the tabernacle that seated 7,000 people. And as they walked around, they saw a stout man over at the side of the building wearing a bib overall and assumed him to be the janitor. And said, sir, would you be so kind as to show us the power plant of this beautiful structure? We would like to see where the heating comes from to heat such a large building. And the man said, certainly. And he led that group of ministers through a hallway, down the stairwell, into the basement, walked through a narrow door, and came to a door and opened it up and said, brethren, this is the power plant of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And these guys looked in expecting to see some mighty furnace or some great heating system. But what they saw was over 200 men on their knees in prayer that Sunday afternoon praying for the Sunday evening service that would take place in just a few short hours. And the guy in the overall said, that's the power plant of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, a group of men who pray. And they stuck around for the service, and they were surprised to see when the service began, a man who stepped up to the stage and stood behind the pulpit was the guy in the overalls, who they thought was a janitor, was actually Reverend C.H. Spurgeon. Spurgeon knew where the power was. Spurgeon knew where the fire was produced. Spurgeon knew the power or the TNT was in prayer. And our power and our TNT is in prayer. And I honestly believe that that prayer starts with the men of any church. Any church. Our desire will be his desires, and our will will be his will when we ask what he desires. And we will receive it because it's his desire. Psalm 37, 4, write it down. Delight yourself in the Lord, 
and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You hear the key? Delight yourself in the Lord. If you totally delight in him, he, his desires become your desires. Well, look at verse 8. By this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. A believer who abides and who's bearing fruit is bringing glory to God. God is glorified by his life. That's the numero uno purpose for you being on this planet. Do you know that? The number one reason for you being on this planet is to glorify God. That's the only reason why you're still here. That's the only reason why you're still here. You're here to be salt. Somebody say amen. You're here to be light. Say amen. And when you cease to be salt and light, God can just take you out of here. You will have no use. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.